to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Todd, and Tood. Man, I feel like a woman. It's Album Nerds Podcast. I'm Dude. got Andy and Don with me, and uh, it's a special day here. So, Andy, how you doing, my man? I'm doing great, buddy. Doing great, you know? I'm getting in touch with my, my feminine side a little bit this week, you know? Feeling like a woman. <laughs> I do. Don, how you doing, friendo? Uh, friendo? <laughs> it's another Star Wars character or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <okay. Friendo> <laughs> <laughs> or it's a style of martial arts, friendo. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> 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 uh, I'm good. Uh, ready to <laughs> ready to talk about the ladies. <laughs> yeah, so uh today we're talking about a lot of things here on the Album Nerds Podcast, all related to albums. Of course, we're going to talk about three albums. We're going to answer a question, spin the wheel of musical destiny to find out what kind of albums we'll talk about next time. But this week, it's all about the women who rock. That's what I'm talking about. So, yeah, so we're, we're not necessarily talking about the, the genre of rock, but I think it's more about uh, a spirit or attitude of, of rock, which, uh, you know, I tend to associate with rebellion. Uh, so, you know, today each of us uh, will present an album from a female performer or a group of female performers who kind of evoke that that spirit of, of rock. It certainly felt more like women of, of influence in the music industry that have turned heads, changed things, made a mark more so than, than uh, rock and roll itself. I mean, I listened to plenty of rock, whole, lived through this. I considered uh, the band The Pretty Reckless, something they're a little more recent. Uh, Taylor Momsen is a singer. Taylor Swift I listened to for really the first time in my life. I listened to a new album. What'd you think, man? You're Swifty now? No, no. That was, I wanted to talk about a modern singer, and she's a great example, but Midnight's was, you know, it was, it was okay. It was modern sounding. I, I just didn't get into it. I listened to her first two country albums as well, hmm. and a smattering of stuff in between. I tried. Uh, it's, she's talented. Yeah. I really enjoy that song she did with uh, Bon Iver. Or Boniver, or whatever his name is, that uh, exile. That's a, that's a really good good song. Kind of gives me goosebumps. Not familiar with that one, um, but I, I also ended up in the country realm listening to the Judds, Miranda Lambert, Reba McIntyre, Shania Twain, and then of course Whitney Houston. Her voice is incredible, but the, the production is so dated on some of those early records. It was hard for me to enjoy them all the way through. I mean, a duet with Jermaine Jackson. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> he brought her down. Um, and Mariah Madonna, you know, all those all those people. But I, I did listen to a lot of records. How'd you guys do? Did well, man. It was pretty fun. Sorting through a wide variety of stuff. I listened to, like, Staples Sisters for a while. Uh, so, yeah, Marian Faithful. She had a cool record uh, called Broken English I almost went with. The Raincoats. And uh, a band called X-Ray Specs. I think they're a UK punk rock group. They're all similar to the band that I'm going going with. So definitely more on that punk rock vibe for myself this week. Yeah, in the in the past year, I mean, we've actually done a lot of artists that would would qualify. You know, we did a Lilith Fair show where we did Lucinda Williams, Liz Fair, and Sinead O'Connor. Um, we did Nina Simone, Aretha. We did the uh, the Highway. No, oh, damn it, the High Women. And, <laughs> <laughs> you want it, huh? Uh, and Janet Jackson. Oh, Janet Jackson record, yeah. 
So, yeah, but you know, uh, this time you know, I, w- I was listening to like Melissa Etheridge, you know, because I always just kind of saw her as like, somebody who who rocked. Um, also listened to the Sundays, the Runaways, but I'm I'm pretty happy with uh, with, with my pick. One thing I'm determined to avoid on this episode is doing the thing that happens so often where someone would say like, oh, Melissa Etheridge is the female Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Like, hmm. that needs to stop, you know? So we're not going to do that here. And I recommend to the rest of you that you don't do it either. So why don't we get into the albums? You choo choo choose me? In the early 1990s, Bikini Kill, led by Kathleen Hanna, was arguably one of the most influential groups in music. All right, we start things off here with Bikini Kill and their 1993 album, Pussy Whipped. We are going to play track 10. It's a little bit of Rebel Girl. That's the debut studio album for the four-piece punk rock group from Olympia, Washington. Uh, They would become known as one of the founding members of the Riot Girl movement, which is, if I had to describe as a man in 2023, is uh, just like women getting more active in the punk rock scene, I would say. I think it originated on the West Coast, but I know it did spread throughout the U.S. Have you guys heard of that Riot Girl term used before? I feel like I saw t-shirts. <laughs> yeah. In college, I knew uh, a self-described Riot Girl and... She had to explain it to me. I'm like, you like punk rock that is ladies performing it? She's like, yes, but it's more than that. I'm like, okay. (laughs) I had a hard time with it. I got the impression it was about just promoting feminism through music and just like a cultural shift in that space, which was very, 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 very male-dominated up to this point. Yeah. Yeah, I was more resistant to – I think I was playing dumb probably just to be a – well, man, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. and yeah, I mean, uh, it's a standing up to the the male establishment, not not just complaining, but like pretty much screaming in in our face, like cut it out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I had read some anecdotes about some of the live shows where she would or the band would uh, request all the women come up close to the stage and all the guys get in the back of the auditorium. Which I think yeah, it's cool. It's, a, it's not something you see promoted very often. It's reverse sexism. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think with the idea of just making things equal, but because I'm going to push things in the opposite direction to get to that point. Anyway, my three words for this record are almost Billy Joel raw. Because we all know, last episode we defined rawness as Billy Joel's album, The Stranger. These guys, you know, almost <laughs> to that level. Maybe maybe someday they'll get quite as raw as Mr. Joel. Wow. Still still bagging on Mr. Joel. It was raw compared to Carol King, you know, but and I don't even think we said raw. Anyway, yeah, keep Joel bashing. That's gonna be a hashtag. <laughs> Both for the stranger on the Elmer's Discord and our website for Ainhoff induction, by the way. Yeah, I mean it's a super super punk rock kind of focused sound they have. Very raw. I would say between that and the strength in just their message and this pro-woman world they're trying to create, I think is very strong. You know, two two things that punk rock does extremely well. 
This record, I think, is a little bit more polished, if you can believe that, in comparison to like their original two EPs. Uh, still plenty explicit, still plenty po- powerful, still really kind of taking back their sexuality. And yeah, let's play another cut from the record. This is a little bit of the final cut for Tammy Gray. Yeah, that's one of the kind of rare, um, quiet, and, and melodic moments uh, on the on the album. It's got a real Liz Fair vibe to it, man. Yeah, I heard I, I heard the Pixies in it, and I, I heard uh, Liz Fair, maybe some Hole. Yeah. Apparently that uh, Tammy Ray uh, is about Tammy Ray Carlin, a photographer, video artist, a zine editor, uh, and she's actually the current provost at, at California College of the Arts. Um, she had co-founded an art gallery with uh, Kathleen Hanna uh, and was also in a band with her called Amy Carter. And she did the cover art for this uh, uh, for this album. Cool. So the, the three words I chose for the album are uh, no penis required. Uh, although the the guitarist, uh, at least for this album, was uh, was a man, so I, I assume um, he was uh, uh, equipped with a penis. Uh, that's Billy Karen. <laughs> what is but, happening? <laughs> <laughs> equipped with a penis. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I mean, uh, I, I think that's sort of the the spirit of of the the Riot Girl movement and this this album. Um, you know, we don't need men to to rock. You know, we don't need uh, a, a man to, to be punk rock. And I don't know. It's every bit is as powerful and as commanding as, you know, as, as a Sex Pistols record or, or whatever, you know, punk rock album you want to pull up, you know, as a, as an example. You know, musically, I, um, I know uh, sometimes, you know, when music gets screamy, you know, you might kind of, you know, not recognize the technique in it. But I guess it's the the rhythm or the timing of it. You know, I, I think uh, Hannah just you know really does a a, a good job. Uh, and you know, I guess it's also the the backing music. Uh, there's still sort of a there's a melody in there and there's a rhythm. It's all kind of catchy, even though it's it's abrasive and and loud. There's there's something in there that still you know draws me in from like an, an aesthetic perspective. Um, I, I'm a sucker for um, for kind of punk rock bass guitar because uh, it tends to be sort of more melodic, you know, whereas like the, the guitar is kind of more like the rhythm instrument. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I always like kind of aggressive but melodic sounding bass, you know, which ends up providing the, the melody for the for the songs. Very cool record, cool lyrics. Um, there's one that that starfish song. Is that what it was called? I think it was called. Uh, yeah, or jellyfish. Star, there's starfish and, and star belly boy, but you probably mean starfish. Yeah, she says, you know, just like a starfish, my legs will soon grow back. I'll just be ten times stronger each time that you attack me. <laughs> yeah, total punk uh, attitude there. Gotta love that. Yeah, I think the reason this record stood out to me and their discography was just because they do take those few moments to slow down. At just a couple songs here, really, just like Rebel Girl and and the last track there we just played, like, and you can kind of hear that they do actually have some chops underneath all the noise and, and chaos. Uh, they do have a good sense of melody and and actually can play their instruments pretty well. Um, let's play one more cut. This is a little bit of Alien Sheep. All right, so Alien She caught my attention. It's kind of more the standard punk honesty, but uh, I like how it kind of speaks about the battle within 
uh, Hannah's talking about this hatred for the alien she who's, you know, there's the, let's go to the mall, let's put on lipstick, let's do all these things that are expected of us. And she hates those people, but she also is one of those people. So there's that, you know, you're a part of this society, you know that, you know it's stupid, but it's still in you. So if you kill that, are you killing yourself? Because that can be a part of you too. It doesn't have to be all like black and white. It's just the reporting of, hey, stop assuming, you know, if I want to wear makeup and look pretty today and then, but the next day you just want to, you know, wear a, wear a, a greasy t-shirt like who like cares work right you don't you don't have to live to some standard all the time do it do what feels good for you uh the three words that i used to describe this album raunchy raw real it's kind of a fuck you to the established gender roles punky to the nth degree kicks conventions in the crotch that's going to be my three words <laughs> and uh it's punky brewster yes it is punky brewster um this is not anti-male. It's just pro-female and pro-truth and, and being real about things and saying it out loud and saying it in a way that maybe someone will listen to you. Because if you're like, oh, excuse me, um, you shouldn't do that instead of, you know. <laughs> right. Screaming in their face. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I did enjoy it. I dug into them a while back, I think because – when we were talking about Nirvana Nevermind and Smells Like Teen Spirit mm. and all of that, mm -hmm. Hannah was friends with Kurt Cobain. I think maybe they dated at one point, but she wrote on the wall of, of his apartment or something, Kurt Smells Like Teen Spirit, because her and her friends oh, were making yeah, jokes about that. the antiperspirant. Yeah. So he didn't even know the antiperspirant thing. I think he just liked that phrase he saw on the written on the wall yeah. by her. He's, he surrounded himself with musicians that he believed in and liked what they were doing. And, and I feel like they believed the same things. Yeah. It's just uh, Bikini Kill's delivery of it was heard by fewer ears, and that's unfortunate. Yeah, I didn't really hear about that myself until the, in the 2000s, until well after they had kind of peaked. But they still have a pretty good legacy, I would say. I think they're pretty well respected in the music community. I think they looked on as kind of a forebearer of you know, women in punk rock. And yeah, I mean, it's hard not to love that just infectious, we're just going to take back control and do it ourselves kind of mentality that they bring to the table. Um, yeah, so that's Bikini Kill. The album is Pussy Whipped. Definitely worth a listen for the punk rock fans out there. Excuse me. I'd like to ask you a few questions. And it's now time on the program where we ask ourselves a question. But this time, Andy is going to be asking us several questions about women who rock. That's right, guys. I got a little pop quiz here for you. All right. So these are your multiple choice. But you guys just buzz in whenever you think you know the answer. First one to get it right gets the point. We'll play first to three wins something. <laughs> wow. Undying I can't wait to win something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Pop quiz, hotcha. She first became known as a lead singer for a new wave band called Blondie. Deborah, uh, uh, I, I uh, was in first. <laughs> Deborah Harry. Okay. Debbie, Debbie Harry. That Deborah Harry. is correct. At one point for the dude. Question number two. Which female metal queen recorded Close My Eyes Forever? 
with Lita uh, Ford. Yes, that I definitely do. Uh, <laughs> he met, you mentioned her last week. I'm like, I'm never going to win this one. I couldn't. I was like, something Ford. And she was in the Runaways. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. You dug into them this week. Okay. Wonder what. So one one. Here we go. This lady was the lead singer for a groundbreaking band called Jefferson Airplane. Oh man, that was really close. Oh my god, I just lost it. Wait, no. I do know it. And I was <laughs> in so quick. Son of a bitch. Right, I'm going to continue reading the question. She was an influential singer with a powerful vocal style. Name this legendary rocker. Uh, Grace Slick. That is correct. Nicely done, Don. Yeah, I had like something. I had Nightingale in my head. I'm like, no, it's not. I know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Victor Nightingale. All right, guys. So that's two for Don. Son of a. One for dude. I did not see it going this way. Got to get this one, dude, to stay in the race. I think you have a good chance, though. All right. She was lead singer with the Stone Ponies in the 1960s. And their first hit. Oh, Don has... Uh, Linda Ronstadt. Oh, my gosh. That is correct. (sighs) I thought dude had a really good chance of winning this. Nicely done. Don. They did that that song, uh, Different Drum, right? Yes, that was... Literally, the next word I was going to say, the first big hit, different drum. It should have been more clever questions, like, (laughs) who's Scooby-Doo's favorite female artist? (laughs) Female band. Who is Scooby-Doo? and the Ranchies. (laughs) (laughs) Give me a fighting chance, not this trivia crap. All right, so uh, what do y'all think? Did I get robbed? Did Andy and Don conspire against me to make me look the fool? Let us know what some of your favorite women who rock are and ask us some questions. Throw us some trivia. Elmnerds.com slash discord. They broke the mold. For the first 20 years of rock and roll, men were the brains and brawn of the music business. In 1976, Hart got added to the mix. Yeah, so my pick for women who rock was the, the, the band Hart. It chose the album Dog and Butterfly, which was uh, released in October 1978. Uh, let's hear probably the, the biggest hit from, from that album. Uh, this is Straight On. Yeah, uh, that song's a, just a, a cool fusion of, of rock and, and disco. There's like a little four-on-the-floor beat there and, and some funk. Uh, I think they do a, a great job with that song. So it's the, the fourth studio album by the American Rock Band, uh, formed in 1967 in Seattle, Washington. Uh, got kind of like a Fleetwood Mac situation here where like the founding members are not the ones that you that you know. The only founding members that were still in the band at, at this point uh, were uh, Roger Fish the guitarist, uh, Steve Fossen, uh, the bass player, but of course, uh, sisters Ann Wilson, who did the, the vocals, and um, Nancy Wilson, who did uh, guitar uh, and some vocals as well. Isn't there a whole thing where Ann went first to Canada, right? Because her boyfriend was hiding there, so he didn't have to go to Vietnam? Yeah, and I think, I think it was Roger Fisher's brother, Mike, it was dodging the draft, I think, went to Canada. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, uh, <laughs> so yeah, yep, they went, they went to, to Canada. <laughs> so, Ann and Nancy Wilson, kind of the, the you know, the faces of, of Hart. Uh, also, I have a drummer, uh, Michael DeRosier, uh, and you, you have some additional guitars from, from Howard Lease. 
Most of the, the songs on this album are penned by uh, the Wilson sisters, uh, along with uh, frequent collaborator uh, Sue Ellis. Um, I don't know if you remember, the Wilson sisters did a, a project called the Lovemongers, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Sue Ellis was was part of that, that group. They are on the singles soundtrack. Oh, love that soundtrack. Yeah, so um, the three words I, I chose to d- describe the album – uh, are two distinct ventricles. Nice. Very well done. <laughs> I saw that Very and I'm well like, done. what the hell is, why is he talking about, I get it, heart. Yes. 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 Very clever. So, so this album <laughs> has two clearly defined sides, right? So side A, I guess you would call the dog side, is um, you know where the, the rock songs live. Uh, that's where, where straight on is. And then side B, uh, butterfly. They're Basically, like, like folky ballads, kind of like epic songs, though. They're all like five minutes or, or so, uh, except for that final song, uh, Mistral Wind, which um, suddenly turns into like a Sabbath song. Why don't we hear a, a, a clip of uh, Mistral Wind? Yeah, that track really, really did it for me, man. Pretty cool record, though. I really ended up liking it overall. Um, my three words are rock hard, rock to sleep, and then rock you right back to wake <laughs> right at the end there. Yeah. It's a pretty it's a pretty good trip. You know, like the beginning is, is kind of like those more standard straight ahead uh, rock songs. And then you get into those quieter songs like you mentioned, Don. Um, I kind of lose track or I kind of lost track of the record a little bit as it gets so quiet towards the end there but then mistral wind comes in and uh kind of revives things a little bit so overall i was really positive on this there's some some really interesting moments i appreciated at least the first few songs cook with fire and, and high time have a nice kind of like almost like live quality to them i know the record like starts out with like a, a clip from like a live performance but i feel like the way they're recorded just it sounds i mean, see what's in the studio but it sounds they bring some good energy to them and it feels a little, little dangerous, uh, as opposed to the rest of the record, which feels a little bit more composed and, and organized. But yeah, it was my first time listening to a heart record all the way through, I believe. And yeah, I was pretty positive on it. So, uh, And the album's produced by uh, Mike Flicker, uh, who actually produced, I, I think, five in a row, kind of in the, the, the peak um, heart era. Okay, well, why don't we uh, listen to uh, uh, another song from that, that second side of the album, uh, the title track, uh, Dog and Butterfly. Yeah, that song is very unheartish, like from from what they had been doing, which I, I think is kind of important um, for them to do. You know, uh, they established themselves as a sort of Led Zeppelin esque um, hard rocking charge, and this kind of this album sort of feels a little bit like when Led Zeppelin took the foot off the gas and and did the did Led Zeppelin three and brought some folk. And, you know, it's a a different sound, obviously, but I think it's brave to do that um, when you're on a particular trajectory. The three words I used to describe the album were dog drops bone, because, you know, (laughs) they, they, you know, when when you got a dog with a bone, he's growling, they're snarling, and uh, drop the bone, lay down for a little while. This is actually one of my wife's very favorite albums. She said she listened to it like nonstop in her youth. Nice. I bought it on vinyl for that reason, so I've had it around for a while. And uh, I do enjoy it. I mean, my my favorite hard album is uh, 
Little Queen, and that was one I was considering for today's show. But then when when Don went with uh, Dog and Butterfly, I, I backed off of that. But uh, I love me my Barracuda. Ooh, Barracuda. <laughs> Quite a bit different than the song sound you hear on this record, I would say. Yeah, for sure. Although I, I like this album. I own this album. I've listened to it a bunch. It was a little hard transition when I had spent a bunch. I'd listened to a lot of the Heart discography and listened to Little Queen like three or four times in a row. So when I got to this, uh, it was really jarring. <laughs> so yeah. it's not cleaner exactly, but it's definitely more produced sounding. You know, uh, I, I I think just uh, it's more mature sounding. Let's let's say that. Yeah. So uh, you know, for me, I think you know, for for Hart, the highlight is is Anne's voice. For some reason, it's just a, a perfect uh, rock and roll voice because it, you know it has moments of of beauty, but it also you know, it's it's very aggressive. I mean, I guess it can be kind of sexual at times, but it's it's a different kind of sexuality. You know, I think it is more of like an empowered, an empowered sexuality. I think that's true for all three of the artists we we did today, and maybe that's uh, an important part of that that women who rock um, theme. You know, is the is the empowerment, and also you know, like I, I think all three of the the artists we do today. They avoided, at least in the early days, they did not want to be sold as sex objects. And I, and I don't think they wanted to be viewed as, you know, just the, you know, the female Led Zeppelin or whatever. Right. In fact, they, part of the reason they left their, their first record label, uh, Mushroom Records, was because they ran an ad that had like some really suggest, I forgot what, what the, the slogan was or something, but, uh, Nancy and Ann were, were not happy about it and they moved on. Um, so I, I, I'm intrigued, I, I guess, because it's, it's a, it's basically a concept album, you know, having both sides have a, a, a different feel. I'm trying to think of other examples where like each side is a, is a specific thing. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's really cool. Uh, okay. So that was Heart with Dog and Butterfly. Almost a dog and pony. This is friendship. Pure, unadulterated friendship. Oh, yeah. Are you a music fan? Join the discussion on the Album Nerds Discord, albumnerds.com slash discord. Tell us what you like, what you dislike, and suggest topics for the Wheel of Musical Destiny. One of the most talented, most spiritual, and strongest women in music history. She's a seven-time Grammy Award winner. From 1985, here's Tina Turner. Thank you, David Crosby, and I hope you're having a nice jam in heaven. So yeah, Tina Turner is is the woman who rocks that I have chosen. We're going to do the album Private Dancer from 1984. Who else really, right? When you talk about a lady that she'd been around uh, since the 60s in uh, performing with her ex-husband, abusive ex-husband, Ike Turner, worked with Phil Spector in the 60s. One Grammys was successful, but also miserable to a certain extent, and then took it all back and got divorced and took control of her career, reshaped herself to make music that she wanted to make, and at 44 years old, had a huge comeback. No woman had done that before, especially in the 80s, so hard to market someone that isn't in their 20s, and she is a woman who rocks. So why don't we listen to a little bit of Better Be Good Time. Now, of course, this album is known for uh, 
what's love got to do with it and private dancer in particular but a&r man uh, john carter capital records helped her relaunch her career and it was a fight to get her there she was uh largely a nostalgia act you know um playing the clubs and and that kind of thing the three words i used to describe the album tina takes over she took over the pop rock world in 84 uh, went from that nostalgia act to the top of the mountain with Prince, Madonna, Michael Jackson, a triumph of talent and drive. She did it. She wanted to be a rocker. She had toured with the Stones back in the 60s, opened for them. She wanted to be like David Bowie and Mick Jagger. And that song, Better Be Good to Me, has that Jagger vibe to it. It was written by Mike Chapman, Holly Knight, and Nikki Chin. And it was originally recorded and released by a band called Spider in 1981 of which Holly Knight was a part. Very similar sound. Um, doesn't have the stank on it that Tina is able to, to throw <laughs> on there. Uh, she, she actually said that the song was very her. Uh, she could see herself performing. It was just right. The words, the delivery, the performance. And it also speaks to, you know, she chose songs. She didn't write songs. I think she wrote a couple back in the day, but not for this album. But she chose songs she thought were going to be hits, songs that reflected her as a, as a person and better be good to me, especially having uh, been in a famously bad relationship for 18 years. I really like that vibe of like, I'm not going to take your shit, dude, you know, and I love that. So, so this album is very 80s in some ways, but the production and the sounds are somehow different. And kind of sound modern, like not all the songs, but uh, this song in particular, I Can't Stand the Rain, is a very interesting sound. Yeah, one of my personal faves off the record there. I would totally agree with you. Like, there's elements of the production on that song that's almost. That sounds, it still sounds cool today. I guess that little, almost sounds like a raindrop falling sort of in the, in the beat there is kind of interesting. But there are definitely times on this record where it sounds super tied to the 80s. Yeah, like, 1984 was, that's the only cringy track on the, on the record for me. Yeah, the track entitled 1984, yeah. Which is a cover song, right? David it's Bowie. Song, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that um, one's pretty, pretty cringy. It, <laughs> I mean, I, I appreciate the attempt, and I think it's also in the same year she did, is it Tonight, on Bowie's album that came out in 84, Tonight, she she's on that title track as well, so she was going through a, a Bowie thing. Yeah, but I mean, whatever, that's that's there, and that's, you know, a result of the times, but her voice is undeniable, and just fucking blast through all these songs, I think, and for the most part, it's mixed in a way that you can really hear her voice clearly over everything else, so... My three words to Scott's record are the 80s can't tame Tina, even with all that kind of background noise there. She's still just an undeniable force of just womanhood and, and just powerful, just powerful and so much emotion come out of her voice. Uh, she gets so much inflection out of words. I mean, a lot of these songs, they're pop songs, so the chorus is repeated numerous times, but she'll just say it in different ways or say it with more stank as the dude said and one, one verse <laughs> as opposed to the other and it just sounds different and it's compelling and it's 
interesting. Yeah, and there's some really just great freaking pop songs on here. You mentioned What's Love Got to Do With It, Private Dancer. There's that great cover of Let's Stay Together, which is just like a showstopper for me. I wasn't excited about that when I saw it that because I, I had forgotten that she had done that. And so when I saw it, I'm like, oh, do, you know, you know, I mean, that song is so iconic. You know, do we really need, you know, another version of it? And then, yeah, and I'm like, holy crap, you know, it's amazing. And then at one point towards the end, she hits like that really – that high, almost like that Mariah Carey note. <laughs> um, it's just a, an incredible thing. Cool synths on that one too, you know. Yeah, as cool as the synths can get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is hard to describe how it does sound '80s, but they did. There's something different about the way that they use those synths and the beats, and that is unique and makes this a really enjoyable album, even in in today's soundscape. So, why don't we check out a little bit of the track "Steel Claw"? You know that is not typically a sound I, I gravitate towards but god just the the when she sings fast like that you know and, and her diction and stuff it's just it's just so cool it's hypnotic the the three words i, I chose to describe the album were simply the best wow and of course that's well, yeah true. so that's that's a hit song that came a few years uh, later but yeah i mean i i really fell in love with with tina you know listening to the to this album uh several times I, I don't want to be redundant, but her voice is incredible. You know, it's not traditionally beautiful. You know, it's throaty and it's nasally. And she's kind of singing, you know, over the top of her lungs. It's not overwhelming. She just has like tremendous vocal control. And like when the album would end, I'd be disappointed because I just want more Tina. I don't even care what the song is. Uh, <laughs> you know, I just, I just want more. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, it, you know, if there's, I, I don't know that there's really criticisms to be found, but you know, I guess maybe the songs just aren't quite as important because, like for me, it's 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 just about her, just amazing. And it, again, you know, yeah, you know, I grew up, you know, I was watching MTV when the stuff was going on, and I had no interest in it at all. Oh, see, I I did. I thought she was like sassy, and I but I didn't know that she was older than my parents. You know, I, I yeah. didn't yeah. get, I did, my dad had to tell me about the seventies and, and I was like, what? No, she's new. <laughs> you know, like, I had no idea. <laughs> she was just this sassy lady with sultry vocals that I was like, uh, hello. Yeah. I do remember that private dancer video uh, a lot. Um, and that song has, has a cool, uh, that song has a cool story written by Mark Knopfler uh, from, from Dire Straits. And he had actually recorded it, you know, with Dire Straits. You know, he decided that he needed a, a, a female to sing it. Um, so that song's actually recorded with um, the other members of Dire Straits uh, and Jeff Beck on guitar. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I read a quote of like Mark Knopfler, like saying, calling it like the worst guitar solo or something or the lamest guitar solo yeah, ever. Yeah, I saw that too. Uh, uh, but great track. Yeah, I mean, it, one one thing that Andy often brings up and, and, and I'm going to bring up on this one, uh, in 2020, the album was selected by the Library of Congress for preservation in the National Recording Registry for being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. And mm, big deal. You know, let's see if it gets in the, the ANOS. <laughs> If it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. I'm going to nominate this for the Album Nerds Hall of Fame. So, yeah, this is a, a no-brainer for me. I mean, I, I've been close on this album, picking it for other shows and just kind of saving it. And uh, I'm so glad we got a chance to listen to it a bunch of times and talk about it this week. So, uh, yes, uh, 
Yeah, this is uh, this one's come up a few times for me as well. How would you guys rank this to like her '60s uh, material? Would you above, below, way above, way above? Oh, really? It's just so different, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. it's um, that was more R and B, yeah, but it was just sort of following the trends, and I think that's kind of what they were doing. And this set new trends. Oh, another thing I forgot to mention was just that uh, there's so many producers involved in this yeah. this album, mm. but it's amazing that it still, you know, for the most part works as a, as a whole. You know, it's not a discombobulated mess. You know, it it works. And for that reason, oh yeah, I vote. I vote yes. This is uh, this is a, a this is a good album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I vote yes too. Obviously, that's such a great record. <laughs> All right, so welcome, Tina. The biggest thrill of your life you're now a member of the album nerds hall of fame forget about the 12 grammys and <laughs> the millions of albums sold we should start sending the artist plaques you know, let's say congratulations you're in the album nerds yeah. hall of fame <laughs> what would that look you'd like, like to donate to that cause uh <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should show up in person tina tina you won an einhoff <laughs> so yeah if you pay for the trip go for it I feel like a woman. So yeah, this was uh, quite a week, and it was a challenge to not take anything lightly. So listening to things like Taylor Swift and and these uh, different female artists, the Judds, whatever, trying to uh, listen to it from a perspective of the strength, the power, and the uh, and the importance of of these women artists, and and it's not just about making records and selling records and being on MTV or, or whatever, there's sometimes there's just a lot more to it because it's coming from this different perspective. So I had a, I had a good week and learned a lot. How about you guys? Yeah. Um, I think the, the main thing that struck out to me, you know, just talking through them with these records with you guys is largely these records are focused on women, like taking back control or just assuming control of, of not only their careers and their life, but also like the music industry and how that's shaped our society, which I think is just so awesome. I mean, it's sounds to me a little bit that we have to point this out specifically, but I'm glad that we can take the time to appreciate these awesome women. And, you know, dude, you mentioned the, the heart record is one of your wife's favorites. Um, that bikini kill record is one of my wife's favorites. I mean, it's kind of interesting to see how the women in our lives, you know, are influencing our perspective on women yeah. in music too. So I had never heard that record in, until I bought it for her when she told me it was her favorite. So yeah, I yeah I, I honestly didn't know how much about Bikini Kill until my wife started talking about when we first started dating. So yeah, it's 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 good. It's good to have that perspective in your life for sure. And I definitely appreciate that. And Don learned nothing. Women are you? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think this is an important theme, you know, because I think in the early days of rock and roll, it really was a, a, a boy's business, um, you know, so the, the men were stars. And, it, and if women were involved, it was them fawning over these these rock stars. Or songs where it's like about their boyfriend being back and, you know, pleasing Mm-hmm. men essentially yeah so it's um it, it's yeah i don't think it can be overstated you know how important it is to um you know have women that uh are asserting themselves creatively you know that aren't you know bowing to to convention uh and aren't allowing themselves to be uh exploited yeah and that's one to grow on 
density. I mean, your destiny. Alright, boys and girls. Especially the girls, though. Got all the girls up in the, the front of the auditorium here for a spin of the Wadbots. Let's get her out here and see what our musical destiny has in store. Your musical destiny will allow you to look back at your first concert experience. It is your opportunity to thoroughly explore the discography of the first artist or band you saw live in concert. Okay. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, Andy, it's going to be new kids on the block, isn't it? <laughs> Shoot. See, I already did, I already did mine. I, I did Duran Duran. Was there an opener? That was my first show. Well, you could do another. I, there I, are other albums by Duran Duran, yeah. right? I'm not even going to tell you guys. I'm just going to make it a surprise for later in the week. <laughs> yeah, and no cheating. My first real concert, the first tickets I bought for a show were, were James Taylor. So I'm glad James I didn't Taylor. do it okay. <laughs> during the singer-songwriter yeah, one. It could be much worse, so. So high school or um, elementary school assemblies don't <laughs> I saw McGruff the crime dog. He really... <laughs> yeah, I think you had to like purchase a ticket for this account. All right. A uh, quick reminder that The Stranger, Einhoff induction is in the balance. Do you think that is a, a raw album? Is that how you would define raw? Please go to albnerds.com oh, and vote on our website. I think we said gritty. Yeah, we said gritty. <laughs> <laughs> also go to the Discord channel, albumers.com slash Discord. You can vote on the general tab. I'm pretty sure is where I put it. Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down. The Stranger is the Ainhoff material. Okay. What was your first concert? Who's your favorite woman who rocks? Is The Stranger gritty and raw? What else are you listening to? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Album Nerds. And please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support. Thank you once again for listening to the Album Nerds podcast. We'll catch you next time with some albums from our first concert experiences. Be a nice trip down memory lane. See you guys next week. I'm a bitch. I'm a lover. <laughs> I'm a child. I'm a mother. I'm a sinner. I'm a saint. I do not feel ashamed. You just keep going. That's, it. That's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> that was the only lyrics I wrote down. So I... <laughs> that was beautiful. Did you write that yourself? <laughs> Who was that? Meredith Brooks. Meredith Brooks. Shout out to Meredith Brooks. Meredith Brooks. She was actually one of my trivia questions. If you guys got any further. Mm.